morning, Roxy Soxy. <gasps> Good mid-morning, Tam. Good Tam. morning. How's it going down there in Los Angeles? Well, it is finally warm, which is good for today. Oh, it is. Yes. Cinco de Mayo. I didn't even know that because I have two kids in quarantine. I'm like, (laughs) what do you do on Cinco de Mayo to quarantine? (laughs) You know know this Texas girl is going to have her tacos and margarita. You know that I'm going to have it. I don't think you need an excuse, Roxy. I don't think it's like, it's Cinco de Mayo. I have my tequila. I feel like every single day is like, oh, it's National Wine Day on a Thursday. So you're like, I need to to support these holidays for sale day. (laughs) Totally. My favorite national holidays or maybe it's just a Tuesday. Yeah. I think you'd be <laughs> proud of me because last Saturday I went and I called you about this because I knew that you'd be like, who have you become and where is Tamman? Um, I went to a Renaissance fair. Oh my God. How was it? I can't believe it was the best experience of my life. I think because it was so new and I was walking to something that I had no idea about. It was like, I was like a fish out of water and it was such an incredible experience. The kids were running around. They had such a great time. You know, it's the first time we've really been out in Texas like that since kind of this whole quarantine thing has happened. Mm. So it was just nice. It was nice to be out. Um, You know, it started raining. So there weren't a lot of people there. But, you know, I, I've been wanting to do more of those types of things because I've been having, and this is what kind of relates to our guest today, I've been having, I wouldn't say some massive issues with my daughter, but she's now seven and she's sassing me all the time and she's mm. got like, like a complete attitude about her and I love her so much and I'm trying to do all these perfect parenting awakened tips. I've read all the books. I've listened to all the podcasts about all the things I should do with my kids. And I'm trying really hard, but I feel like I'm failing. Like I sit down, I'm trying to talk about my emotions with uh, her emotions, how she's really feeling, how we can do this better. And it's just like not working. So I don't know. I feel like I need a little bit of help. How about you? Well, you know what? First off, you're not failing, but I hear you. I hear I'm probably like, failing. Things. <laughs> no, not even probably a little. <laughs> But you know what? It is such a hard, it's like the hardest job in the world, right? It's like Mm -hmm. every day, I feel like for me, you know, I'm always sort of second guessing myself. I'm like, did I do that right? Did I not do that right? Am I messing her up by the Mm -hmm. things that I say to her? You know, like, because my daughter tends to be more sensitive and very, you know, quiet and reserved and she doesn't express herself a lot. So I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like the opposite. I'm like, "Ah," you know, like out there. So it's just, I don't know what I'm, what I'm doing first of all, and am I doing it right? Or am I doing it? That's going to be the best possible, you know, scenario. I don't know. It's so hard, but that's why our next ga- our guest is going to save the day. <laughs> I know. And she also has another book, which I think is kind of where we're at right now in society yeah. about, you know, the awakened, like I was listening to this podcast um, from the woman who wrote The Secret. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, the, the, the interviewer said, like, well, how do you know that you're awakened, like awake? And she just said, oh, gosh, like, you know, like everything looks brighter. You're connected. You're mindful of things. I'm like, oh, God, well, I'm definitely asleep. (laughs) Um, So, like, how do you like it's like this new thing of like, how do we become more awake to these ideas about like, you know, seeing the world through a different lens and a different perspective and not being so stuck in our own shame and hatred, self-loathing and comparison. Mm. Like I want to be that. 
I don't know if it's possible, <laughs> but I know that at least I'm trying. And I said this to my husband last night. I was like, I'm on a path to being a better, more awakened parent and person. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why when this guest, um, I reached out to her and uh, without further ado, we should introduce her. Um, and she said she'd come on the podcast. I was like, this is perfect timing oh, yes. for where I'm at in my life. And I'm sure where you are too, uh, and where the world is right now after mm -hmm. this pandemic. So Right now we have Dr. Shafali. She's a clinical psychologist with a doctorate from Columbia University. Um, she specializes in the integration of Western philosophy and Eastern philosophy. She's an expert in family dynamics, personal development. She has four New York best-selling books. Um, I actually first heard of her through Oprah Winfrey yes. because Oprah Winfrey's obsessed with her and she does Oprah and women on top. <laughs> so it's like, you know, two of the best things out there. So doc, uh, Dr. Shafali, thank you so much thank for you. Being I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So can we firstly, you know, talk a little bit about you. Um, I know, you know, we have guests on and we talk about their work, which is amazing, but can we just like explain to our guests, like what led you here? Like, where have you come from? What led you um, to writing books about being conscious and awakened and, you know, helping so many people in the long run? Um, well, I originally came from India, but um, more importantly on my path, I came from a deep desire to understand the human psyche. So that led me to clinical psychology and doing mm -hmm. that till I finished my PhD and also uh, to learn meditation, to mm -hmm. still my mind, to really get deep within myself, to, I guess I've always been some kind of existentialist uh, seeker, mm -hmm. trying to really understand what is the purpose of this existence and how can we ameliorate our suffering? How can we expand our joy? So all of this has been the focus of my life pretty mm -hmm. much uh, the entire time and leading to this point right here, right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, just to dive right in, because you have so many amazing, um, you know, I mean, just all of your studies that you put out there for people and, and all the advice you give is so amazing. And I think, you know, a lot of times we as women, and especially moms, you know, we're really conditioned to believe this notion of like self-sacrifice mm -hmm. and putting mm -hmm. others first, you know, always others first. And we, that we should live and die by the sword of our kids, especially. Um, so how do we sort of break this pattern so that we then don't pass this on to our children, especially, you know, all of us, we have daughters. So, mm -hmm. you know, especially in that context, like how do we sort of break this cycle? Yeah, I actually talk about this a lot in my new book, Eradical mm -hmm. Awakening, mm -hmm. because we women especially are uh, conditioned to identify with these caretaking roles mm -hmm. because we are so caretaking. We're lovely. We're nurturing for the most part. But then we identify with that role for our sense of worth. Mm -hmm. And that coupling that enmeshment of our worth with our role that is where the mess up happens it's not that we mm. shouldn't play these roles we should mm. I mean if we want to uh, they may come naturally to us but it is when we enmesh those roles with our identity as mm. in my sense of worth my sense mm. of validity my permission to exist so that without those roles I am lesser than now we run into problems 
You know, in your chapter, the idea of the woman, you say, and I love this, the, the writing in this book, you say, you cannot just be good, only great, not great, only greater, not greater, only excellent, not excellent, only perfect, not perfect, only a war against the self. Right. And that totally hit home for me. Like you talk about the triple threat about, you know, the need for approval and validation and praise and that it's an aphrodisiac. And I feel like right now, especially in the world, like in social media, we all just need to be liked, right? We need to be liked and validated and wanted. So what happens when we base our value on that constantly? Because I know for me, because of what I do and also in the social media world, I feel like I'm constantly obsessed with the numbers right and because the numbers to me mean that I feel like I'm enough and the problem mm. is then it's never enough it's always like the million views or the two million views or the five million views and you still feel empty so <clears throat> how do you stop wanting that validation when I feel like that is what our world is all about like what mm. you're teaching isn't what we learn it's not what we learn as kids mm -hmm. like we learn that validation and approval is important so like, how, how do we not base our value in that? Right. It's, it's to, this is the radical awakening to have the maverick uh, spirit of a warrior to understand mm -hmm. that that conditioning is poisonous, mm -hmm. right? So now the, the person who wants the 2 million following wants to know how to stop. Well, the thing is that they should never have started, right? It's like, it's like the crack and the alcoholic addict saying, I want to stop the pills, mm -hmm. right? Now that you're right, we, we shouldn't become worse, but we need to understand that we started with the wrong void, right? The void with the wrong solution for the void. Mm -hmm. There was a void, which mm -hmm. is the inner unworthiness. Mm -hmm. And we, like you said, we were told that, oh, if you're unworthy, just get that unworthiness filled up through the external. It could be the husband or the cars mm -hmm. or the shoes or the lover. It doesn't matter what the stuff, the right? Stuff. Fill it with stuff. Or the relationship or the achievement or the degree. And like for you, it's the, the following. Mm -hmm. So it's always something new. It's a new version of that external X factor. And we need to understand that that is poisonous. That mm -hmm. is starting off on the wrong foot. And now we have to backtrack and realize that, wow, look at me. I had 1 million followers. Now that's not enough. Now I had 2 million. That's not enough. So when we see ourselves on this cascading and never ending conveyor belt labyrinth to mm -hmm. nowhere, who is going to get us off that? Only our awakening. Mm -hmm. And if we don't get off that, one day we will come to a screeching halt, mm -hmm. you know, when the numbers simply don't increase mm -hmm. or the wrinkles just won't stop popping mm -hmm. or the, you know, you're finally over the age of 60 and you're considered older mm -hmm. at the, or the relationship breaks up, you will come to a reckoning of your inner void. And finally you will be asked and challenged to fill that void with your own self worth. And that to me is the journey of life, you know? Mm -hmm. So all these circuitous pathways we take uh, of all our forgetting, you know, we forget. So we think it's the partner, we forget and we think it's the children and we forget and we think it's the Botox and we forget and we think it's mm -hmm. the career. These are all just the great forgettings. Mm -hmm. And one day we will come to the, to the grand reckoning that we still haven't really reconciled who it is we are at our deepest void 
and we will be called to that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and hopefully we're called to that gently. Mm-hmm. But in my practice as a psychologist, we're typically called to that with a grand screeching, mm-hmm. thunderous bolt of lightning, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was going to pick up on a little bit is like, because we have so much of this external, you know, these cu- the things that cover up, you know, the real pain and the real unworthiness inside of us. How do we go on the show? How do we even start the journey for awakening? Like, how do we even go and find um you know who it is we really are and what really is going on inside Mm -hmm. so this whole book really i i wrote it as a pathway as a journey so Mm -hmm. from being asleep i call the whole first part being asleep in the matrix to the awakening so you're absolutely correct in asking how do we do that? So we, we need to understand how this journey really works. Mm. It really begins with most of us being asleep. And I call it being asleep in the matrix because mm. this cultural uh, life that we live within is a bubble, is a matrix with certain rules and codes and norms and values that we think are divinely sanctified, but they're really not. They're just made by ignorant men and women like you and me. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we think they're holier than thou. So they prescribe us with a prescription list that we get at birth. Uh, and, you know, we're told, you know, which kind of family you're born in, what kind of traditions, what kind of religion, what kind of school, what kind of status, income, you know, and all of it is kind of laid out for us. Mm-hmm. And we are like sheep to the slaughterhouse led down this prescription list and told that if you don't meet these criteria, you may not be that worthy. So mm-hmm. we learn really young to morph into whatever our parents want from us or our culture wants from mm-hmm. us. Oh, you want me to be the super achiever skinny kid? I'll do that. You want me to be the quiet, pleasing kid? I'll be that. You want me to be the funny, goofy comedian? I'll be that. And each kid kind of finds their own way to morph into the family system and the cultural matrix to get that those crumbs of love and worth, right? Mm. And um, so that false self, uh, in the book, I call it the egoic self, the mm-hmm. false persona or the inauthentic self. And strangely enough, uh, this is a protector of us. It allows us to actually get those crumbs so we don't starve mm-hmm. and gets us to adulthood. The sad thing is that eventually, because it's a false, fake, inauthentic part of us, like I said, it will drop, it will come to a screeching halt, things will fall apart because it's, um, I liken it to uh, an eggshell. You know, the eggshell mm. kept the, the chick safe while it was hatching, mm. but if it doesn't crack, the chick will die. Mm-hmm. So in the same way, this false self is our protector for a while, but it's really fragile. It doesn't last long because it's not based on an authentic emergence. It's based on the likes, you know, there's someone like me. And if mm-hmm. someone doesn't like me, it begins to crack. So with a lot mm-hmm. of invalidation or a lot of uh, tragic moments in our lives, that shell cracks. It cracks quickly, actually. And I typically find in my practice, uh, mothers <laughs> crack, mm-hmm. uh, mothers of teenagers crack, um, midlife crisis, right? That's when mm-hmm. big cracks happen because the, the the pressures of the world simply can't be sustained by a false self. You have to have true resilience and true worth to sustain the pressures of the world. So by midlife, mm-hmm. I see most of the eggshells cracking. And I love that as a therapist because I show people, oh, it's it's not cracking because 
you are not good enough. It's mm-hmm. finally cracking because you are ready to be good enough. You're finally ready to emerge. Your true self is ready. So how do you really know that you're cracking? Well, you're going to feel it. Yeah. You're, going to, you're, going to, you're going to be all over the place, disheveled, disembodied, yelling and screaming at your kids, mm. drunk out of your mind or eating mm. too much. Or, you know, in my rock bottom moment in the book I described mm. in the first few pages, my car swerved off the road. You know, my car literally was off the, the tracks and I was about to bang into a tree because I was so discombobulated, so exhausted, trying to play all these roles that it came to a screeching halt. And so thankfully I use that as a portal for my awakening. Typically what happens is we ignore these powerful moments and we just put band-aid ourselves back together and want to go back to normal life, just like we're trying to do in this pandemic. But this pandemic is a portal, just like all our wild curve moments. And if we don't pay attention, then we're going to hit another monumental, momentous rock bottom moment. And we don't want to wait for too many of those Mm -hmm. because that's too much dysfunction. So here's where I'm at. I don't know, Roxy, about you, but I feel general, like a generalization. I feel happy, Mm. but I also feel lost. Mm. I have been in this business, in this acting world um, since I was 15 years old. Mm. Um, I did love it and I still do, but there has been a lot of rejection and failure and self-loathing that I don't even know what I am or what I want to be or what really makes me happy. Mm. And I wouldn't say that I wake up every day angry or depressed, but I wake up every day confused and slightly lost. And I know a lot of people, especially in this pandemic, is there's a lot of those feelings that have been brought up. So the thing that I'm reckoning with is like when you feel lost and a little confused, how do you find out what your journey is meant to be when mm. you don't know? I think you have to look at that lostness as a lovely, you know, slap on the face mm-hmm. and, and uh, tell yourself that it's an invitation to do an honest reconnaissance mission of your life you know mm-hmm. why am I lost am I lost because I'm, I'm saying yes to too many things that are not in alignment with my true essence mm-hmm. or am I lost because I'm saying no to too many things that mm-hmm. are in my essence mm-hmm. um, am I taking on too many roles am I trying to nurse too many people into wholeness and ignoring who I am you know if you're really transparent and do that honest appraisal audit of your life, the answer will come. It won't come immediately, but uh, through a slow chipping away of what serves me, Mm -hmm. what doesn't serve me, and really uh, segregating those two very clearly will lead you toward a greater alignment. Um, I can guarantee you most of our burnout and fatigue and lostness um, really emerges from a disconnection to things that serve our essence and we're getting lost in the egoic battle or Mm -hmm. the egoic trappings of the game of it. You know, we're getting lost in the game of it. Like 
it, to use your example, in the numbers of it, mm -hmm. in the status of it. Mm -hmm. And as long as we play to the tune of those external elements, we will be greatly and greatly disconnected from our essence. You see, our essence doesn't care about our wrinkles. Our essence doesn't care about how many followers we have on Instagram. Mm. Our essence really cares about how in synchronicity we are in our external life with mm -hmm. this internal life. Is our mm. external life, every choice we make, for the most part, synced up with our internal life? Mm. That's what our essence sighs in relief about or flails about in a panic, you know? And when it flails, it leads to this discontent, to this confusion, to this rabid overthinking, to this hunger. Mm. Our essence seeks simplicity and synchronicity really and our current modern world is anything but simple or synchronous it's fear too though right mm -hmm. isn't it fear i feel like a lot of this is like trying to find your your purpose right mm. it's almost like roxy and i i mean i'm speaking for roxy she should talk for herself but for me i feel like i know my purpose but i'm afraid because again, going back to your book, what if people don't, it's, it's just this artist way, which um, Brene Brown uh, wrote this amazing book um, about the fact that like artists want validation, but when you want validation, it's almost like you can't even create, you almost become paralyzed because you're wanting that validation. So you're creating for the masses. So you're not actually in line in alignment with your purpose. It's that fear, the fear of ridicule, the fear of rejection. And so you have your purpose, but you're afraid to do it. Yeah. But, but they're two separate things. So let's just break it down. So can I ask you, what is your purpose in one line? My purpose I feel is to entertain people and make them feel less alone. Okay, so the reason why that purpose, like to be different things <laughs> so different. The reason why that purpose is is a little bit of a sinking sand. Okay, <laughs> is because so say it again. My purpose is my purpose is to is entertain. to entertain people and make them feel less alone. Okay, so can let's see if we can break this down, and I'm going to show you exactly <laughs> why your purpose will always feel like a sinking ship. Okay. No wonder you're feeling lost. Okay. <laughs> okay. So my purpose is to entertain people. So what is that? Um, what agenda does that have? That people need to be entertained. entertained. What does that mean? That means people need to uh, change their mood. They mm -hmm. need to like you. They need to endorse you. Okay. The second part of your sentence is that people, what do you say? And that people? To feel less alone. <laughs> right. So in order for people to feel less alone, wow, your purpose think, is to be yeah. a little bit of a messiah. Oh, my right? Lord. Oh, no. <laughs> right? You should have been in my life years ago. We could have <laughs> skipped a lot of pain and frustration. So, so. I get this. It's it's just like, you know, I would say my purpose as a therapist, if I was 
talking like you. Mm-hmm. My purpose as a therapist is to, I would say, fix people and make them feel less sad, right? Mm. Oh, and Roxy could say, Roxy, are you a mom? I am a mom. Yeah. So let's try to use Tamman's uh, line of uh, thinking and use it with your children. My purpose mm. as a mom is to make them. My purpose as a mom is to make them feel protected yes. and um, always safe. Okay. And Good. loved and loved. Okay, great. So the tra- I don't know whether you see the trap. Do you see the trap? Okay, the see. trap exists because you are tying your purpose, your mm-hmm. sense of well-being on another person's evolution, on their mood, on their state of mind. The minute you do that, you are going to be on a sinking ship. Mm-hmm. So let's repurpose our purpose. And sh- I'll show you another way to, <laughs> to have true internal purpose because when you shift from the external focus that you just had mm-hmm. to what I'm going to show you, Now you are anchored in an effortless synchronicity with your own self mm-hmm. and you extricate and untether from the external world. So I teach parents this all the time, right? I mm-hmm. ask parents all the time, what is your purpose in being a parent? And all of them think they're being fabulous parents by saying something like Roxy said, mm-hmm. my purpose mm-hmm. is to make my kid happy. And I'm like, so if your kid is not happy, what? You've been purposeless? Mm-hmm. What if your kid fails? Now you've been a terrible mom? And they're mm-hmm. like, yes. So this is a problem. This is a problem, guys. Okay, so let's repurpose purpose, okay? Um, <laughs> let's, let's change it to an internal focus. Mm-hmm. So Tamin, go deep within yourself and, and get connected with who it is you are and ask yourself, why do I... Why do I want to entertain people? Why do I want to make them feel less safe? There's a little girl in me that has a need to, to feel wanted, like to feel yes, needed. part of something. Yes, significant. Yeah. Mm. Yes. So you figured out you, early on, young, young little uh, Tamin f- figured out that if she, you know, with her talents could make people happy and giggle and smile, you saw people around you change their mood and that made you feel plugged in. Do you even, do you remember your first memory of somebody in your family changing their mood around you? I was four years old. I remember like it was yesterday, four or five, and I sat down and I was wearing my mom's boa thing around her, my head and I was smoking a fake cigarette and I was pretending to be cabaret and I did like a whole show for them and everyone was laughing and they're like, oh my goodness, we've never seen anything like this. She's so special. And that was it. I was obsessed from age five years old to entertain people. Right, because it gave you a steroid boost of significance, worth, belonging, like you had never had before. Mm-hmm. And you just got addicted to that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have to, and when we repurpose purpose, we have to first understand what need of the inner child has been yearning to be filled. Mm-hmm. You just found this to fill it. Mm-hmm. Roxy could find six children and two dogs to fill it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Shefali could find 16 <laughs> dogs books. Three dogs are a child. <laughs> <laughs> six, 16 books to fill it. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You, you don't get to say you have a better purpose because you're making people smile, right? It's mm-hmm. always, as long as it's external focus, it's a sinking ship. So now we've gotten in touch. Wow. Tamin has been doing this all this while, saying that she's doing it for people. 
But now she's understanding because she's in touch with her inner child. I'm skipping many hours of therapy, yes. And now she understands that she really has been doing it, not for them to mm -hmm. feel better, but because it gives her this sense of significance and validity. Mm. So she's actually been using them to fill her. Interesting. They are the injection, but she's been thinking she's the injection. Mm -hmm. She's the vaccine. Okay, now we know that it's to fill yourself. Mm -hmm. So the next step is to really confront that hunger. So every time you're on stage, instead of saying, I'm here to entertain them, you have to literally own the truth, which is, I'm so hungry. Can you please validate me? I'm so hungry. Can you please make me feel significant? Mm -hmm. That's honesty, right? And that's what my mm -hmm. book talks about. The radical awakening I speak about in my book is to awaken to how we co-create our own misery, right? So mm -hmm. in the beginning of the show, you were sharing how you get caught up in waiting for the likes. Mm -hmm. And now I'm showing you how you're, you're co-creating that misery of getting caught up in the likes because you're hungry for that validation and significance mm -hmm. so now the third step of repurposing purpose is to shift to how can tamin mm. right inject herself with the love and worth and that is our essential purpose then entertaining someone coming on a podcast even having another child becomes simply extensions mm -hmm. of a full sense of worth. So till now you've been working on empty or half, mm -hmm. which is why it's easy for you to get lost because if the external doesn't match, you're going to feel lost. Mm -hmm. So now the purpose mm -hmm. becomes, how do I fill myself with worth? And remember just a few minutes ago, you were talking about our, our main purpose in life is to find purpose. Mm -hmm. I disagree. Mm -hmm. Purpose is right here. Purpose is how can we do what we're doing right now with a sense mm -hmm. of completion? Purpose is never out there. Mm -hmm. And all these billboards and vision boards that sell purpose out there keep us suffering more. Mm -hmm. you, when you are filled with wholeness, you are in purpose. Mm -hmm. And the minute you are disconnected from wholeness, you are out of purpose. Because you're, you, you see what I just showed you, like the minute you're in hunger, you're not in purpose or mm -hmm. in service. You're actually taking from people. You know, we get, we mm. take from people. But when you're in wholeness, you are naturally going to serve. And if you don't serve the audience, you'll serve the dogs. If you don't serve the dogs, you'll serve the plants. Mm. So you never lose purpose. And once you understand that, then there's no greater purpose. There's no lesser purpose. The gardener's purpose is as important as the baker's. And the baker's is as important as the nanny's. Mm -hmm. And now we begin to have wisdom and release ourselves from these hierarchies mm -hmm. that the world has created. Oh, mm -hmm. he has a podcast with 7 million people. That means mm -hmm. he has a, he has greater purpose. No, that's mm -hmm. not true. Mm -hmm. So this is a whole reimagination of things like purpose that mm -hmm. if we don't reimagine and realign with, we will stay in suffering. Mm -hmm. oh. Wow. Oh, that's a amazing um, reassessing my whole life right yeah, now. yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly going back you know going back to how we grew up um you know obviously says a lot you know and i think for me i'm somebody you know i was reading your book radical awakening and i was really resonating with the shield persona you know mm -hmm. very much resonating with the shield and even some helicopter because i think for me growing up you know, I come from a multicultural family. My dad is Pakistani. He's from a very small town in Pakistan. 
came to this country, you know, is an oncologist, but is a very much an overachiever, has his PhD, his MBA, and he expected excellence out of us, you know, our whole lives. And so I went to a highly competitive all-girls college preparatory school from the time of third grade through graduation. And we were, you know, expected to go to college and have careers. And, you know, my mother is from like a small town in East Texas, very much sort of the opposite place um, where my dad is from, but was always very loving and was a stay-at-home mom. And so I grew up in sort of a bit of a cultural clash, um, plus, you know, sort of having to live up to these expectations because as you know, being Indian and Indian Pakistani, you know, we're brought up to respect our elders, respect our parents really live for them in a lot mm -hmm. of ways, you yeah. know, and live up to what they want us to be, you know, and, you know, I was sort of expected to either take over my dad's practice as a doctor or be a lawyer or an engineer or something like that. So when, because I'm a creative, you know, I went in a totally different, um, you know, direction, which I'm sure, you know, being first generation, you know, frustrated him. And I'm also the oldest child. So I was always told, to protect my younger sisters. You know, you have to protect them. You're the protector. So I'm sure that's where my helicopter-ism comes in, you know? Very good, very good. You know, so it really, really, um, you know, it just resonated me with me so much when I was reading your book. But I'm also trying to not do that to my daughter, you know, and not trying to pass those things along to her. I really want her to be the person whoever she's meant to be but at the same time the thought of her experiencing pain like i experienced growing up you know is so it, it scares me and it hurts me and you know who wants their child to go through pain you know but mm -hmm. i know it's a necessary evil you know it just it is what it is so how do we sort of you know parent in that way with that consciousness you know but also letting them be who they are Right. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Like, even when you said about your mission as a mom, you use the word safety and protection. That, and it came out right from your mouth. So when we say these things automatically and begin to tie it back to our childhood, we begin to see, oh, it wasn't just something ad hoc. It came from something deep within. And this is how patterns get uh, instituted and patterns get passed on. Mm -hmm. So your desire to protect her is, uh, is a ubiquitous parental pattern. But I think you have extra charge around pain because you, you quote unquote, suffered uh, being of these different. Uh, your mother wasn't Indian, correct? Your no, father. My father right. was. Mm -hmm. So you had a clash of different cultures and, and that must have been hard for you to fit in. Mm -hmm. And so you are now very much not wanting to perpetuate that pattern. But here's the thing. Our children are going to experience their own pain. Pain is, I'm using a cliche, is part of life. I mean, there's just no escaping pain. So you had multicultural pain. Your kid will have maybe non-multicultural, you know, same race pain. You know, there's, there's, <laughs> there's always pain. The, the thing that gets us through pain is not the absence of pain mm. or the degree of pain, but our community around us, our, the presence of our attuned caregivers mm -hmm. and our capacity to have resilience that the pain is not going to break us, mm. right? So if you, you're the community, you're the attuned caregiver, but if you are harboring the belief system that you don't have the resilience, that's what's going to pain your child the most. Mm. Not so much the pain, mm. but the, the belief system that we are not resilient to handle the pain. 
you know, so you can test this in your life with your mm. kid. If you show up consistently in an attuned way mm. with an attitude that we are going to get through this, mm. I can promise you your kid has the, the buoyant grit and capacity to get through it. What doesn't get them through it, and I've seen this consistently, is the anxiety of the parent. Um, you know, is that why we try to discipline our kids and it doesn't really work because we're so anxious about them doing what we want at the time we want to do it. Mm. And because we're so overwhelmed, probably justifiably because of life, mm-hmm. then we put that onto our kids and our kids are acting out. Is, is that what we're doing wrong? Or is that what I'm doing wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, I, I wrote a book uh, called Out of Control, Why Discipline Doesn't Work. Yes, I love, I love so, that book. <laughs> so you, you hit the nail on the head. Our confusion, our inner confusion, mm-hmm. our desire for control coming from anxiety hodgepodge is the whole thing up. Mm. Now, traditional discipline is an aberration and an abhorrence. I mean, the way people discipline in our generation growing up, mm-hmm. you know, with the paddle, with the stick, with the timeouts, with the abuse, the shame, the yelling, the screaming, the punishment, that is out of control parenting. I don't call it discipline. I just call Mm -hmm. it either lazy parenting or out of control parenting, Mm -hmm. which is why I call my book out of control. Now, conscious, uh, you know, shaping of behavior or conscious guidance really comes from a place of uh, not a desire to control your kid, Mm -hmm. but your desire to just guide them. So if what we are filled with anxiety within ourselves, like Roxy talked about from mm-hmm. her own pain of childhood or her own in- inadequacies or her own lack of in- inner integration, then anything our children do, mm-hmm. we take it as if it's a reflection of our failure because we are yet in pain from our childhood. So when we see that reflection and we feel the stirrings of oh my goodness, my kid is a loser. That means I'm a loser. That means my kid is a loser. And now you're on a spiral. Then you, the next gear is often control. (laughs) And that's where unconscious discipline comes from. I'll take away your iPad. You know, I'll lock you in the basement. (laughs) We want to throw them into a box and put them out to sea because they are reflecting back to us our core helplessness from our childhood, right? It has nothing to do with the present moment. Like in the present moment, we're just going to be five minutes late. Mm. Or in the present moment, oops, some paint, you know, spilled on the sofa. The other day, my daughter, who's 18, by the way, spilled, <laughs> spilled soy sauce for the 1800th time and, and hid it. And then I found it, you know, so just, <laughs> she's using the same techniques from her five-year-old era. And I laughed with her. She said, I know I didn't think you'd find it. And I was like, it's just hidden in plain sight. Anyway, I could see how the old me mm-hmm. wanted to yell and scream because it was my fancy upholstery and I was attached to it and I was helpless. And I thought my kid was a clumsy clunk. So I had all these feelings that I wanted to yell and scream. But now having done this 1800 times and the kid is still clumsy and a clunk, I have realized that what's the big deal? Oh. You know, what is the big deal? You know, I used to make a big deal about the backpack on the floor. I remember my kid used to walk in the, in the door, throw the backpack on the floor. And for me, it was a sign of 
disrespect and mm. uh, it was a sign of lack of discipline and lack mm. of I made up all these things that it was a sign of and within minutes I was in a battle with my kid mm. and then one day because I did conscious parenting on myself I had a conversation with the backpack I was mm. like why do you upset me so much like why am I so threatened by <laughs> like to me to me you're like eh, you're going to eat up this whole house if you see like you're going to morph into some amoeba and you're going to infect me. <laughs> and when the backpack didn't talk back to me and I was like I'm talking are you like this is the moment I'm losing my yeah, mind right. I'm talking <laughs> to a backpack right but I had to talk to it because I was uh, acting as if it had a life mm. and when I finally realized it was just fabric and plastic very cheap plastic Mm. I realized it was all a projection from my damn mind from my insecure childhood. Mm. So th- you know these are the ways we have to realize that we are projecting onto mm. the moment onto our children because of our inner lack which is then spiraled or disguised into control or as control and we act as if it's called discipline we act as if you know we have a right to it but mm. when we're really honest we realize we're just going crazy because mm-hmm. we're losing control we're feeling helpless like we did when we were five mm-hmm. and we're going to make our kid pay for it you know you know that's interesting so because we have you know kids in different stages so Tamina and I our kids are her daughter's seven mine's about to turn seven what is the best way to discipline this particular age group because you know I've heard mm-hmm. it's good to kind of sit down and talk to them about what's gone on and you know explain and listen to each other's feelings and so what what do you recommend to sort of to discipline this kind of age group well the greatest discipline i know this is mm-hmm. so annoying and what mm-hmm. i'm going to say is really just the self discipline of the parent mm-hmm. because when you don't lose your shit mm-hmm you will be able to handle things better and you will be able to say no or let's not deal with this now or not now and we'll be able to do it with a sense of authority that is calm and reflective instead mm-hmm. of reflexive and reactive so you know i know now because my daughter's 18 mm-hmm. that all the things i lost my cool about mm-hmm. literally were so inconsequential and they only matter to me in the moment because my own life and my inner sense of sanity was on a threadbare you know state of existence i was messed up mm. there's really nothing a 7 year old can do mm. that requires us to scream and yell the way we do mm. requires us to certainly hit them and requires us to lose our shit it's only because we are we've already lost it from inside there's nothing an 18 year old my my daughter is taller than me bigger than me mm. you know she can literally break my neck <laughs> and even she can barely do anything evil now i mean now that i'm in a state of wholeness mm. i just see her as like you know maybe on the worst day really entitled like that's mm. my worst name for her mm. you are so entitled like that's the most evil thing <laughs> she can do but besides that they are harmless mm. they are only so quote unquote evil to us in that moment mm. that we feel mm-hmm. we need to control them because we can't handle the unpredictability of parenthood we can't mm. handle that children are morphing and information and they are meant to be kind of psycho like kids are meant to be kind of crazy <laughs> and we can't handle that like we wanted soldiers in our army we wanted mm. minions at our disposal mm. 
I know you have to leave soon. So we have a couple, just uh, one or two more questions that we have to get from you because I'm like, ugh, I'm like, she will save me, Sean. That's what I said to my husband. I'm like, (laughs) don't you worry. After this podcast, we will be better parents. Um, But just my last question is about, um, about codependency, which is a little shift from what we were talking about, about parents, uh, parenting. I have been codependent my whole life. I, um, again, from probably my, uh, we immigrated from South Africa. I, you know, felt a little lost going to school in Australia. Um, then I was, you know, overweight, lost weight, had an eating disorder, all these things that I felt very codependent with things and people. And then I met a husband who is the most incredible man, but we have this weird dance that is very codependent. Like if I'm upset, he's upset. If he's upset, I'm upset. We can't actually separate ourselves. And so when we argue, these arguments go on for hours because we are codependent. It's not like I can say, you know, yesterday he was actually in a mood. I couldn't separate myself and go, he's in a mood, let him be in his mood. And I'm going to actually just take care of myself and my kids. I became in his mood because I, it was like a reflection back on me. So why are relationships kind of the ultimately where we kind of lose ourselves Mm. and what is the best way when you are codependent with your spouse um, or a partner or what parents, how can we untangle that? Mm. So relationships mirror that lastness that we came into the relationship with. You know, people often think that relationship killed me. That relationship really, you know, made me confused. And it's the relationship's fault. And I always tell people that you came last, right? You came Mm -hmm. broken, you came confused, and you found the perfect partner. Mm -hmm. So relationships are the petri dish uh, as the mirror of your earlier childhood experiences. So imagine you're the consummate entertainer. You, Tamin, were entertaining people from a young age. Therefore, you were so in tune with other people's feelings, your radar, your antenna. And most women are raised like this, to be tethered to the scowl and the frown and the smile of the outside people, because that's what boosts us up or deflates us. So it's only natural that you found a partner with whom you would endlessly participate in this fusion dance because you never learned like I showed you just with your purpose your purpose is related to outside people mm-hmm. your sense of existence is tethered to the tentacled with the outside world so this is the codependent personality and most mm-hmm. of us are like this so you're not alone and our, our goal in life is to untether unfuse unenmesh but not to create distance or divorce or separation or hatred, but to really anchor ourselves in our own autonomous life experience with Mm -hmm. honor. So Mm -hmm. what would that look like in your experience would be, he's in a bad mood and you honor that. You go, Mm -hmm. I get it. You have every right to stay there because I trust your worth. I trust your journey. I trust your destiny. And in fact, I trust that you'll find your way out. Mm-hmm. By enmeshing yourself to him, you're actually dishonoring his power, his worth, and his wisdom. You are actually taking away from it. That's what helicoptering does to our children mm-hmm. by over hovering around them. Like I said, we show them that we don't have the resilience. What hurts us more than pain is not the pain itself, but our belief that we are not resilient enough to nurture ourselves through the pain. Mm, gosh. 
Um, my last question has to do with vulnerability, mm. um, which is a place I do not like to go. I don't like to be. Um, to me, it it's, it's symbolizes weakness, even though I know it's not. Um, I just, I don't like to go there in relationships, you know, especially with my husband, um, even with friends, it's an uncomfortable place for me. So how does somebody like me or somebody who doesn't like to be vulnerable. And I know that that is a necessary, necessary part of growing emotionally. How can we get more comfortable with that and show that side of ourselves and, you know, and be vulnerable so we can experience life. Yeah. And this is so connected again to your life experience. It was hard for you to be vulnerable mm -hmm. growing up because you had to have the armor of the shield. You were a different kind of kid in that era and no one was perhaps attuned to your pain or your confusion. So you got a shield. You know, it's interesting you talk about vulnerability because that's the greatest challenge of women who have a shield. Um, and I think as you begin to understand why the shield was created, why we create these personas. Mm. And in my book, I talk about many personas here, the shield, the caretaker, the nurturer, the people pleaser. And each one has its own, uh, you know, psychological mm. features. Mm. So the shield doesn't want to be vulnerable because they are so afraid mm -hmm. of being rejected. And I think rejection was your great theme. And that makes sense given your biracial family and the mm -hmm. confusion and the clash of cultures. You so wanted to fit in. Mm. So now to be vulnerable means to risk that rejection, like you could get rejected. That's why none of us mm -hmm. want to show up in our authentic self. Mm -hmm. But as you grow up and heal that young Roxy mm -hmm. who had to do all this on her own and really understand the pain she went through, you will then begin to honor her and see how valorous she was mm -hmm. to bring you here. And then you may be able to let go the crack, you know, let the, the cracking shield lose its power and, and disintegrate on the floor and there will come your true self and the true self is always raw and transparent and vulnerable and in its vulnerability it is indomitable well thank you so <sighs> much wow. for being here i know you have somewhere to go we're so grateful that you're here so um grateful. can you please let everyone know where they can get your new book radical awakening because i'm sure mm -hmm. everyone yes well everyone <laughs> literally every one of our followers will be you yes. know into it so um i'm halfway through it and i'm just biting chomping at the bit to finish oh, so, so i'm good. just so grateful that you're here and, and shared your wisdom Thank you both for allowing me to reflect back your life and you allowed me to have a peek into your life and uh, do a mini coaching session with both of you. So thank you for that. And the book is called A Radical Awakening and they can get it at eradicalawakening.com. Amazing. And Amazing. I just want to say, I love the work you do. I'm so honored to be a guest and share <laughs> some of this with your listeners. Thank you for having me and always supporting me. Thank you. Oh, thank we you. Love we you very much. Love you. Yes, we yes. love you. We would love, I mean, I need you on speed dial, Dr. Shafali. I I mean, I'm, I'm going like to actually sign up for you. your mentorship. So um, I don't know how that works, but I'm like, okay, where can I sign up? Because I don't need therapy. I need you. Yeah. Um, and you guys can find us on Women on Top Official on Instagram. And Women on Top Podcast on Facebook. Facebook and women on top our group on clubhouse and don't forget to rate subscribe and comment so we can bring you more amazing guests like dr shafali um, and i'm so sersak and i am roxy manning and we are women, women on top, top. Ah.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion? Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.